So I'll begin with a short reading. This is from the Numerical Discourses, Book of the Tens, 58. And this is where the wanderers, other sects, those who were not disciples of the Buddha, meet some disciples of the Buddha. And the wanderers, in many cases, these are presented as sophists, you know, people trying to figure out where does the cosmos begin, you know, um, what brings it into being, kind of philosophical. And the Buddha was always very pragmatic and empirical and direct. That was a particular quality of his presentation. So he didn't really deal with views about the cosmos, whether it was infinite or infinite, the self was finite, infinite, mixture of both, and so forth. So what do you actually experience? And this is an example of it. So it's as if the wanderers ask the bhikkhus, if they ask you, what are all things rooted in? What's the root of all things, of all dhammas? Um, if they're rooted, how do they come into being? How do they come into manifestation from a root? How do they come into being? From what do they originate? What's the genesis? What's the principle that gets them going? Yeah, livened. Upon what do they converge? What brings them into form? How do, how do qualities take on a form of some kind? By what are they headed? What exercises authority over them? What is their supervisor? What is their core? In what do they culminate? And what is their consummation? And I don't know if any of the wanderers actually even go to this far, but the Buddha presents this, this theoretical um, query. He says, well, they bhikkhus don't know. <laughs> they put it politely, but they just haven't got a clue what he's talking about. Be good if the Blessed One would clear up the meaning of this statement. <laughs> so he says, because um, clearly the Buddha felt this is extremely significant. Friends, all things are rooted in desire, chanda, interest. They come into being through attention, manasikara, some mental uh, action formulates uh, Phenomena out of the panorama of consciousness, where the six consciousnesses streaming, particular attention grabs hold of certain discrete qualities within those, and that's what brings some an object into being, into focus. Right? Yeah, you know, since we we have hearing, smelling, seeing, touching going on all the time, and mind what particular things arise out of that stream. Wherever you give attention, that's what plucks something out. They originate from contact. Contact is the bit that gets them alive, what touches you. Suddenly, things become alive. They converge upon feeling. The felt quality of something gives them a distinct shape or presence where reaction starts occurring. They're headed by concentration. Whenever you focus on 
that becomes the leading characteristic. Mindfulness exercises authority over them. With mindfulness, you're able to stay steady, scan the whole experience, reflect upon it, you know, and so forth. So in other words, you're not suddenly getting swept along by this tide of felt impressions. Wisdom is their supervisor. You discern what's how things actually are, what are skillful, what are unskillful, what's their nature, they're changeable. Liberation is their core. <laughs> they culminate in the deathless. Their consummation is Nibbana. Liberation is their core. So in other words, to penetrate into the nature of things uh, by, by recognizing through wisdom their void of self, changeable, and so forth, there's a freedom that can occur through penetrating into the core of phenomena. They've been conjured up, seemingly solid, fixed, entering into them through mind, mindfulness and wisdom, empty, nothing there, just other than what your mind makes of it. They culminate in the deathless as, as, as phenomena are revealed in such a way and there's detachment from them, non-engagement with them, they begin to dissolve into the deathless. Yeah. Their consummation is Nibbana. Nibbana. Yeah. Completed. Uh, they are resolved. They are no longer regenerated. Of course, in this context, the Buddha is talking not about uh, plants and trees and where they came from, and, but the phenomena that human beings experience, their own world subjective reality rather than a philosophical construct of objective reality rather than a scientific construct of reality which would be very convincing scientific construct um, subjective experience is a world of felt feeling felt experience all things converge upon feeling. You know, feeling is where the mind gravitates towards, is activated. To uh, master feeling, to exercise authority over feeling, is one of the primary uh, cultivations and uh, exercises of a contemplative to exercise authority over feeling. Now in this Satipatthana sequence we have these four noted uh, establishments body, feeling, Vedana, Chitta, awareness, heart, mind, Dhammas, phenomena, that are pertinent to realization or 
lack of it. And these can be seen as separate, but um, my sense is these are all folded up within mindfulness of body. That is, as one establishes mindfulness of body within this body, this is the place of direct experience. It's not philosophical. Uh, and establishing it you know, the template we have the what I'm calling the external structures which you can see with your eyes yourself and other people you can also more um, subtly refine that to sensing the tactile impressions of your body as you walk, stand, sit and you cultivate sati, mindfulness so that you bear the whole thing in mind not just the pieces of body that are extremely charged with feeling but all of it like as one unit sense consciousness tactile consciousness and you begin to notice within that the pull of feeling one's attention is drawn towards areas that are uncomfortable or pleasant Uh, and uncomfortable is more um, powerful generally than pleasant because pleasant you have a choice around unpleasant you just want to get away from it because unpleasant for the body could mean severe damage and death whereas pleasant for the body could be nice but you could get by you know? so the principal trigger for the body unpleasant feeling you jump pleasant feeling you're interested in that could be nice but unpleasant feeling you don't want <laughs> you get distinct reactions the body just tightens up to resist it because this could be a matter of life and death, clearly. And you can notice just uh, you know the, the subtle fluctuations of that. And so there's a particular piece in the walking from here, this meditation hall, through to the front entrance. You go down a corridor, and it's kind of tedious. You know, it's just physical feeling, foot, foot, body, move. Yeah, okay. The same old walls, yeah, same old walls, lights, same old thing. And you get to a particular place where you turn a bend, there's a slight fluctuation of warmth <laughs> comes in. You feel something's a warming effect, either the heating unit's there or something, but I look forward to that point in the cold. <laughs> you get a tiny little fluctuation of pleasant Vedana. <laughs> it's made my day, you know, it's made it all worthwhile. <laughs> You know, it's when you get walk down that corridor. You know, pleasant feeling is hard to come by. It's not unpleasant, but it's mostly kind of fairly neutral. And you get a little hit of subtle pleasure. Oh, great! <laughs> then you turn the corridor and you're back into plod, plod, plod. <laughs> There's noticing tactile 
And generally, when it's not particularly significant, what happens is we go to mental feeling, which can be derived from any of the other senses. So the manas, manas, the manas uh, mind organ, scans the other organs uh, of sight, sound, the other fields of sight, sound, touch, and so forth, and searches those with an intention on feeling. So we might walk down the corridor, it's okay, but there's a lovely ray of sunshine coming through the trees in the window, you notice, oh, beautiful. It's actually the eye doesn't think it's beautiful, but the mind sees a particular shining quality of nature, so forth, as the evanescent quality, we can find that quite, quite pleasing. Or we might get the fragrance of the food as we pass through the kitchen and find that pleasing. The feeling and the attention, contact come together and that the mind presents that. We might feel slightly happy or uplifted. So this is the you know, Vedana. And there are two kinds, as I've said, the physical and the mental. External. Just based upon sense contact. And then the analysis that I'm floating, internal or somatic, internal aspect of the body is somatic. We feel tense, we feel open, we feel spacious, we feel knotted up, we feel stagnant, we feel constricted, we feel unbalanced. We sense all this and it feels unpleasant. Or we feel spacious and open, it feels pleasant. Bright and balanced, it feels pleasant. And so internal. And then with the mind, you also have the internal, which is more like uh, you get these uh, um, jitter states. Whereas the we might say the external is to do with sort of psychological conditioning or it's to do with what is seen or experienced as beautiful, tasty, which can change from person to person, from culture to culture. The internal aspect is whether the citta feels open, calmed, brightened, uplifted, or crushed, flattened, distracted. Internal quality. And generally, for human beings, the mental quality will, in most cases, dominate the physical quality. So you can play art, you know, arduous sports where the body's really getting damaged and feels psychologically great. You know, you can go on adventure hikes where you're getting bruised and blistered and feel a great walk, you know, feel really great. Maybe you feel also you somatically refreshed, so the the bruises and the blisters and the cuts and discomfort don't really count. They don't really affect you because you feel uplifted by by the freshness. Your somatic presence feels quite expanded, and you feel psychologically uplifted. 
And, you know, people can do things that are really quite damaging to themselves for psychological uplift. You know? So apart from things like uh, sports, which can be pretty destructive for a physical body, but we feel the excitement of the challenge, the conquest, the competition, or the, the you know, collective energy that goes on for if you're in a team, you're really lifted up by all that. The fact that you just twisted your ankle and ripped your knees doesn't really cut it. So you get a psychological uplift. Then you get what you might say really strange ones where your perverted interests, which are actually you know, physically damaged, drinking a lot, drugs and so forth, hanging out in gangs, violent conduct, delinquent behavior, destructive, can be psychologically uplifting. We feel we've conquered, we've, we've proved ourselves. So young men particularly very prone to this sense of daring and conquest and criminality maybe that's because they prove themselves to be bigger greater than the social norm we're not just you know going along we're we're braver brighter stronger um, so criminal behavior psychologically uplifting point even harming other people could be psychologically uplifting going to gangs we have to learn and prove that you can wound and damage other people uh, to show that you're strong and brave and you know indifferent and whatever it is tough then you get cred get credit so you're psychologically welcomed into the tribe because you can be a real man and like stuff like this you know and uh, so it's pleasant and people will go for that um, even in, uh, say, you know, religious or quasi-religious undertakings, apart from the flagellations and the fasting and the humiliations which people take upon themselves to feel they're being somehow religious. <laughs> uh, you get uh, religious orthodoxies, um, Scientology, where you, you, know, you have to cut yourself off from the rest of your family, follow particular rules and observances, doggedly give everything you can to the organization then you'll be part of the tribe you'll be a winner and you'll be right and so people do this for the sake of religions will actually you know um, put aside what's good for their, their chitta uh, to be psychologically in some strange way um, approved of uh, the feeling and feeling quite empowered by that so the feeling magnifies and gives a sort of sense of strength or validity to people based upon psychological feeling, psycho-spiritual feeling, and so on. And of course the religious and spiritual world is very much uh, uh, prone to this because we can think anything that um, you know, goes against my ego, it must be good for me. <laughs> then I'll become one with the divine, you know, the sublime, the transcendent, so crush my ego. Uh, this is a pretty devastating menu. So we have to really contemplate these different areas of our felt senses, tactile, the emotionally or psychologically derived, 
And in the somatic, where you do feel somatically steady, uh, clear, open, clean, you know, alive, and even recognizing that. Because many people, they don't even know this somatic quality, as either don't know it or don't acknowledge it. You just go into sense contact. Uh, you know, so even to acknowledge that there is this quality of somatic presence, and how that feels is extremely significant, because your behaviours will be dependent on that. And then you've got psychological feeling, which is often to do with how I am when I compare myself with others, how I am when I compare myself with a cultural standard or a social expectation. And yeah, I'm feeling good because I fit in, because I'm approved of, because I'm doing the right things according to the religion or the doctrine of some kind, or even the gang. (laughs) And then discerning another quality, which again, unfortunately gets missed, what actually is good for the citta, where the citta feels bright, steady, suitable, capable of realisation a place which is open and steady so that wisdom can arrive in it. And again, this area can be completely unknown for people, or only barely known, or only known in moments, intuitive moments, when they, oh, get get it. But, you know, by and large, what is presented as for our welfare and happiness in the secular, sensory world would be tactile impressions and psychologically um, uplifting impressions. I'm a winner, I'm a success, I'm beautiful, I am you know, approved of, I am winning, da-da-da-da-da. Uh, that's what we want, that's what we're seen as this is your highest happiness. And you see the results of that, the drive that we get enrolled in, to get as much of this as we can because it's not the problem with that is it's not innate you know you've got to get something to bounce off you've got to be approved of by somebody you've got to have a tribe to fit in with you've got to have a something else you can measure yourself by right if you're going to be as good as everybody else you've got to have everybody else to be as good as <laughs> otherwise it doesn't work <laughs> yeah or there's got to be kind of a stated standard of what the good, happy, successful person is, so that you can measure yourself in accordance with that. And yes, my mother, you know, I'm fashionable, I'm bright, I'm interesting personality, I'm good at this, that and the other, I've got a quick wit, I've got a bright mind, I'm a success, you know. And this person isn't. Competition. And uh, and how long does that last? Really, obviously, on the just the tactile, physical aspects don't last that long before they begin to decline. Really, after about thirty or forty, it's downhill, and it becomes extremely uncomfortable in your seventies and eighties if you live that long. Then you get the psychological stuff. 
where you've got to keep proving and winning and you know affirming yourself and so forth so that can go on for quite a long while and that can transpose into every everything we do you know your retreat did you get these states did you have a successful retreat oh no don't ask did you have a successful retreat what does that mean did you get the states did you get the knowledges did you get the insights did you get the jhanas did you get the oh no what did you get well I I had this nice moment when I turned around the, in the corridor and I got the water. <laughs> and I saw the sunlight. That was pretty nice. Well, big deal. <laughs> well, it was a big deal for me. Because <laughs> any alleviation from the unpleasant is considered a success. <laughs> yeah. So, but then this psychological source of pleasure, where we can say we've got something, or are something, or as good as, or we've passed, the, we've made the grade, uh, is very fraught with anxiety, isn't it? And desperation and pressure, you know, and comparisons. And then, could be better is always the answer. Always, more practice is needed, could be better. So that kind of pressure to get these psychological benefits, then one will feel worthwhile. One will feel worthwhile. And in that drive, what do you actually do to the chitta? <laughs> Does that even get recognized? how we squeeze or push or suppress, judge, uh, strangle, (laughs) awareness, chitta. This is something that is an area that isn't so clear for many people because of the power of psychological feeling, um, physical feeling, sense-based feeling, they come swirling in, in floods. And then we don't really notice uh, feeling open. Nothing much going on. No shimmering, no shaking. No pressure, no anxiety. No judgment. No comparison. No past that I'm dealing with or suppressing or or trying to push away. No resistances. No future that I'm hankering for. Oh. How is that? Is this where deathless makes sense, some sense, in the termination of this pressure of feeling, 
Nibbanam Paramang Sukang is uh, means Nibbana is the highest ease. But it's not Vedana. As uh, I think in some of the suttas it says, oh, the cessation of feeling feels really good. It doesn't mean you're kind of numbed out. It means that push, that drive, that stimulation that swings to and fro. When that stops rocking, pushing, shoving, dragging, Ah, Chitta's nature is easeful, easeful, not binding, no achievement, no status, no self. It's important to displace those references. tactile versus somatic which is better tactile you touch something you know warmth is better than freezing cold yeah I'll grant you that but when you get those kind of heavy turgid states in your body it's tight and tangled up yeah when you get this irregular shaking in your body and it's, it's kind of restless and agitated when you get a heavy sunk state in your body it's stagnant and stale and you're stuck in this and you can't just open a window and make it different you can't switch on a heater and make it different you can't wrap a blanket around you and make it different you realise the somatic is what really counts and then you know with that you know I'm prepared if that means it's going to be a bit cold, I'll take that. If it allows me to be open, I'll take that. Because this one is more steady and it's conducive to wholesome jitter state. Because when the somatic presence is opened and steady, the jitter is open and steady. The two occupy same territory or the sympathetic where the uh, somatic qualities are knotted up your chitta feels knotted up and there's no amount of taste, touch, science that's going to change that and this is what we live with the rest of it you can move through you can open the door you can Scratch, you can move around, but you can't shift this stuff without going deeply inwardly and processing it with sati, mindfulness. Feeling. Feel the feeling. And feeling is volatile. And there's all kinds of psychologies that happen around feeling. We may feel pleasant feeling, should feel pleasant, shouldn't it? But sometimes we get embarrassed by pleasant feeling. You know, so you get a kind of pleasant sexual energy arises and it's rather enjoyable or something, so I shouldn't feel that. 
So there's an agitation and don't want to feel it. Feel displeased by it. Sometimes people are psychologically very warm and open. You just feel a bit taken aback by it. It's too much for me. I can't manage it. It's, it just blows me away. I just can't manage it. My psychology can't handle that amount of, of affection or warmth without getting flustered. <laughs> so we're not resisting pleasant feeling. We shouldn't feel it or we can't manage it. You know, when a system and our karmic patterning and our psychological conditioning, when we, people can come into being in situations where the, the uh, psychological feeling, family, society, is abusive, disconnected, not sympathetic, so what occurs in such a situation where the input you're getting from other humans is either critical, condemning, dismissive, so forth, that's extremely unpleasant. You know, particularly if you're very small, because you've got no skin psychologically, <laughs> go straight in. So if that happens, what occurs is you, you close. The system closes in order to, to not feel. You can't get away because you're only four. <laughs> you can't get away. You've got to be with that. It's unpleasant. What are you going to do? You shut down. So you shut down feeling. And you can do that. That can happen for people. It does happen for people. You know, people die from lack of love. If it gets very severe, the system just contracts. Happens to the chitta, it goes into the somatic domain. person becomes extremely defensive, tense, tight, closed down. They numb out. Particularly in a social situation, they sort of freeze because the social situation triggers that sense of other people are seeing me, therefore the defences come up. Because it triggers that pattern. Because psychological, these feelings, what they do is they trigger sankharas, formative energies. So you can't get formed psychologically and somatically dependent upon the dominant feeling that you're immersed in. You develop defence strategies uh, or reaching out. In order to get something, I'm going to keep reaching, 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 reaching. I'm not going to get in this. I reach, reach, reach. So you get people who are hyperactive or reaching out all the time. You know, I mean... been with people, you know, they were the youngest of 13 children. Well, when it came down to dinner time, <laughs> you could get in there and fight because you, otherwise you're not going to get your share. <laughs> so that kind of <laughs> attitude. Yeah, or, or, you know, the kind of things that happen for people. And some of it's frankly either direct abuse or just not so much abuse as just not, not the... A withdrawal of empathy, just a withdrawal of love. 
which is food. You know, human connectedness is, is a food for healthy growth. For the little creature to find themselves safe and comfortable, they will grow. If they don't do that, they grow kind of a bit distorted. And this, of course, can happen very young, it can happen um, anytime really. But the younger it happens, the more profound it shapes the person. You know, it's non-verbal, it's built into the reflexes. This is also important to recognise. A lot of this conditioning is non-verbal. You can't think your way out of it. You can't psychologically deal with it. Because it's pre before the verbal, rational processes occur. It's a reflex. You can't undo a reflex through any rational means. You've got to go into embodiment itself. That's where it began. That's where it originated. That's where you deal with it. And if you don't deal with it there, you basically we build layers to compensate for that particular pattern process problem. And this can be outwardly defensive towards others um, or inwardly um, cutting aspects of our, our experience off. I'm not allowed to experience rage because that got me blamed, so that gets shut down. Uh, I'm not allowed to experience fear because that got me scorned or laughed at, so I close that down. I'm not allowed to experience grief because that's messy and unmanly, so I shut that down. I'm not allowed to experience, you know, and so forth. So shut, 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 shut. So you don't feel anything much. So computer games. <laughs> Get me out of the human condition altogether. It's messy, it's confusing, it's painful, it's frightening. Get me out. So I'll go out there instead. <laughs> because the feeling triggers the sankara, sankara then blueprint that impression. So this can be happening, and uh, so we don't actually feel much at all apart from a vague, empty state. Again, this is a, a known and recognisable phenomenon that occurs with people. The places are shut down, they don't feel very much. And then you come across Buddhism. Cessation of feeling. Well, that sounds good. Emptiness. That sounds good. Solitude, emptiness, cessation of feeling. That's exactly what I want. Because I have a little bit of feeling left. If I get the last bit out of the way, I'd be completely peaceful. That's what I want. Cessation of feeling. But you've got to have a feeling first before you can... You've got to allow a feeling to rise, be processed through mindfulness, understood with wisdom, unraveled, and then it finishes. It's not about cutting off before it happens. So you get the kind of don't feel anything attitude creeps into practitioners. Feeling is distraction, feeling is, is messy, feeling is confusing, feeling is not wise, you don't get proper insight with feeling, so stop feeling anything. And uh, yeah, and then people who already got psychological damage of some kind, 
go into that. And so certainly in monasteries, one experiences this. You know, monasteries actually assert people who are searching for ways out can come to a monastery thinking this is the way you get out of the world. Uh-huh. And uh, they don't really take into account it's going to be community, other people, work projects, uh, things to do, things to turn up for. No, they've got the idea, hut on my own, quiet, nobody bothers me, stop feeling anything. Uh, so this kind of beings turn up and uh, it's a bit of a process. There's one incident comes to mind about a, uh, a young man and he was trying to get to cessation so he wouldn't talk to anyone he really had to and he'd spend most of his time sitting in his room trying to close down the feeling and stop feeling anything uh, to get to Niroda and then one day he suddenly opened he found himself he was eating peanut butter in the cellar we had a big store in the cellar of the monastery where they keep canned food. He was tucking into this jar of peanut butter, digging it away in the afternoon, which is kind of not appropriate. But even that wasn't so bad. It's the fact he had no realisation of how he'd got there. He completely blanked out. He just came to, witnessing himself gobbling peanut butter. <laughs> and he realised something had just basically split off. Part of his mind just split off, gone out of contact. And uh, so it was like a psychotic episode. Uh, it was curable. But uh, this is what happens. You know, under the pressure of these shutdowns, the fundamental energetic wholeness of a human being, which again, for many people, is just what you're talking about. Well, you meditate enough, you'll get it. <laughs> you start doing a shutdown job, you begin to shut those energies down, but because they're innate and part of your system, what happens is they just split off. They, you know, Instead of being a, a coherent, unified whole, the pressure of not trying to feel anything kind of breaks that energetic continuum, so it's split off, and psychosis occurs. Yeah. And it's to do with fractured energy. The energy of the system has been fractured by experiencing things that he could not manage. He just could not remain whole under such pressure. So it split. So one part went out of cognition, out of access. And it's a trauma. This is like traumatic experiences when the, the pressure of the feeling was so intense that basically things shut down and energy was a split in the energy and it never really came back together again it never healed so a bit's just drifting off and we're not feeling it so this kind of thing occurs for people mm-hmm. so in the Satipatthana teaching feel (laughs) feel it all messy uncomfortable shameful (laughs) 
feel it all. Hurt, you know, annoyed, you know, flaring, feel it all. That's the, that's the aim. But in order to feel it all, you have to have enough core presence to be able to, to handle that without splitting off, without the system just getting into reactive. Once again, what is this core quality? Well, if you sit, well, it's based upon the body, in my view. You know, if you establish sitting, standing, walking, you get the tactile impression, the skin boundaries. And you, you get familiar with that, and you realize, yeah, there's something happening within all this, some dynamic, sensitive vitality happening within all this. It's not always comfortable, it's a bit disorganized, but it's there. And this really is very significant, important. And in order to bring this to something more complete and full, I don't mind experiencing a bit of physical discomfort. I'll sit still for half an hour or an hour, even though it hurts a bit. And I'll try to bring around a sense of harmony within this. So if we keep our attention spread over that entire field without going into any particular areas... This is conducive to a levelling and a harmonising of the somatic field. It's one condition. It's not, you know, you've generally got to open that whole field and then you start, if you like, working on it, gently breathing through it, attending to it with sympathetic awareness, handling the lumps and the tangles and the Numb places by referring them to more healthy places, breathing through them, steadying, calming, sustaining sati, to arrive at some sort of sense of a fairly coherent somatic presence. And one guideline in that is that if you're fairly attentive, you'll notice as you sit, as you establish the presence of the body, you'll notice there's an outer boundary, there's an inequality, and somehow in the middle of that there's a centre, there's a central axis, where I can say, that's my left side, that's my right side, that's the top, that's the bottom. Well, to be able to make those sketchy judgments, you've got to have a midline that you're referring to, which you don't necessarily feel, but you sense. That's the centre, there's the axis. From the top to the bottom, between the left and the right, between the front and the back. Yeah, that's the centre. Because those things are not the centre. Right? If we can hold that, and then as you establish that, chances are, with some perseverance, your breathing begins to flow and you're not concerned too much about the tactile impressions, just the overall somatic effect of being breathed. You don't have to do anything. It just happens. If vitality is given, it flushes through. And if these two these qualities are held together, there's a something we can begin to clear some of the tension and resistances and imbalances in the somatic domain. And if it's attended with a careful sensitive attention, the citta is similarly relieved 
of its agitation and restlessness and craving because it's got somewhere agreeable to open on to, even if the process of doing that is psychologically challenging. <laughs> you know? And so this is, we call it, getting the samadhi territory, samadhi area. And you think, oh, this is rather enjoyable. Wow. So psychologically challenging means, I don't really want to get up at four, thanks. I'm fine. You know, getting up at seven is okay with me. Before I don't see the point of that, four o'clock in the morning. I don't want to sit in a room with a load of other people. I'll sit on my own, thanks. I don't want to, I'm not a conformist. I don't want to be a conformist. Just one of these kind of numb sheep. Turn up, got no individual spirit, which is numb, stupid, passive sheep. I'm not going to be one of them. I'm going to be an independent, free spirit. Okay, see where that gets you. <laughs> you think, okay, I'll turn up before. <laughs> and psychologically, I mean, I'm a kind of non-conformist. Uh, was anyway. Uh, uh, that seemed to be because the conformity to me meant, you know, basically nine to five job, mortgage, it's, you know, indentured slavery for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> five-day working week, so forth. I don't want that, you know. So non-conformity is the way. But you go to non-conformity, yeah, but that doesn't do it either, really. So you're trying to find a somewhere whereby, okay, I'll give up my individual views, rights, tastes, opinions, values, and just, it's okay, it's okay. You know, and it's not, it's not demanded. You know, it's invited. That's important. It's psychologically sensitive. If you really don't want to do it, don't. You know, it's an offering. Make an effort. Because, you know, it's not... You don't have to do it to belong to the group. It actually is because it could be for your welfare. That's what we're interested in. And certainly group situations... Many people have a certain challenge as competition, comparison, projecting others, being projected onto, feeling defensive. Just because of the presence of other people. Sense other people as a steady presence of vitality, living beings who are also struggling. You know, also with their difficulties, also with their, also humans, also don't want to be here. <laughs> like, you know, a lot of monasteries are made up of people who don't want to live in a community. <laughs> got communities of people who don't want to be in a community. They want to be with that guy and that one, but these are not him. But you're stuck together, okay. It'll probably be good for me. You know, patience, compassion, broadening the mind, okay. And then sense of something that goes beyond my preferences will probably be good for me. But up to you. And you take it as you can. Where will there be possibility for the jitta to come out of its comparisons, its judgment, its self-judgment, its criticism of others, its defence?
Well, not by avoiding it, but going into it. Not by avoiding it, because this is stuff has to be processed. You don't get out of it until you've gone into it and gone through it. Otherwise, it just remains latent, undealt with. And so often in our practice, we're coming up against the areas where we're not so comfortable. We feel anxious, we feel strangely restless, we feel agitated, we feel lonely, you know, we feel I'm not doing very well. And that felt unpleasant feeling. So you kind of trim it, take it right down to the psychological complexities, just the sense of don't like, unpleasant. Then using that analysis of feeling is really helpful because it moves through all the conceptual reasons and the emotional tangles of why this and that and the other, just an unpleasant feeling. Unpleasant feeling is part of life. On the sensory plane, it's just standard, and we shift away from it. Now, the interesting thing is though the unpleasant feeling is very much internalized as well. Nervousness, tension, compression, staleness. There's a possibility in here to clear that out. The ending of feeling feels good. Because what's happening, there's resistance to that, there's avoidance of that, there's, I can't bear that, there's, I need more of this. Stuff is crying like that. And then practice, you're bringing your awareness gently, steadily towards these sore or inflamed desiccated, depleted phenomena and meet it it doesn't mean get over it it doesn't mean understand it it means meet it Because what we're doing through that is we're reuniting the energy. Where it's been split off with a sense of shame or guilt or shouldn't feel that or regret, that's the psychological sense of that. But the energetic sense of it is something that cannot be allowed. Something that cannot be allowed to manifest right so there's a cut there's a wound there's a there's a wall being established between one aspect of your experience and another aspect of your experience you know you think i shouldn't dislike my mother why that's wrong she meant well yeah yeah but now you're not talking about the real flesh and blood thing you're talking about that impression 
This isn't about real people, it's about the internal people who got stuck inside you because you couldn't handle them. <laughs> you couldn't manage it. So that piece of the person has got stuck inside you like a splinter. And you don't like it, but you feel should you shouldn't not like it. Well you're not dealing with a real person, you're dealing with these phantoms that get left inside you that represent areas of your splitting, of your inability. And so can I just at least meet it with all that felt agitation and just spread widen awareness over it. Just keep widening, softening awareness over that. That's it. That's it. Good. As it says in the Sutta, mindfully one knows this. Unpleasant feeling is this. It's very cryptic. It doesn't do anything about it. it doesn't just notice it, aware of that. And you begin to feel the pulsing or the the changeability of that once you meet something. You know, why is it that we have this teaching on impermanence and things changing? You think, well, that that painful memory hasn't changed a bit in 40 years. <laughs> I thought it was supposed to be a Nietzsche. Well, it hasn't changed because you haven't met it. You haven't directly met it. It's been too uncomfortable. You felt so stupid because of having that memory. You say you've got to give up this psychological impression of who you think you are or should be. Meet how it is. Humbling, in some cases, to realize you're, you know, you're still a five-year-old in some places. But, okay, now you're 62. Well, get over being five before you die. Otherwise you'll be five in the next lifetime. <laughs> so, you get out, you know, meet the place where you felt you were the one who were left out. You were the one who never got a fair deal. And that, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It didn't matter. Why can you, I'd be remembering it for the last 40 years if it didn't matter. Because it did matter, but you thought it shouldn't matter. But it did. So now you're okay. Where's that? Irritation. Unpleasant feeling. Emotion. Good. Feeling annoyed. Good. Very good. Okay, just be with that. Steady. It moves through. When it moves through that, that splinter, that division has been dissolved and awareness unifies. Oh, that's gone. I feel kind of strange. This is sort of like clean, clear. What was all that about? Nothing. <laughs> you know, we come to in a world where suddenly we're fresh again and that's dropped away. And the person who I was in that particular scenario has also been seen, sensed, met with compassion and moved on. So feel it. 
but because of the power of feeling to push, to throw us, to initiate sankara, get the grounding, that proper grounding in the body. So these psychological and emotional feelings start shifting and moving. We've got something, we say yes, but the sitting, yes, but the standing, yes, but I can walk, yes, but my chest can open a little bit, yes, but I can breathe. So you've got a, a refuge, a reference to ameliorate the push and the passion of feeling. Mindfulness supervises, exercises authority over, wisdom supervises, then phenomena are released. <laughs>